0: Hey legends, my name is Mo and welcome to the Can't Can World podcast. I'm a Royal Marine who is dedicated to optimising human performance and want to bring your exposure to the fantastic people supporting the same aim. Today I speak to a GB athlete who broke a 26 year indoor 800 metre record, placing him amongst the best middle distance athletes in the world. We discuss the importance of his family, mindset, his career threatening and injury and how he strives to be better tomorrow than today. <music> Episode thirteen, Elliot Giles. I want to start at the end, and the most recent events in February was it the indoor indoor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah indoor. Yeah. So national record, in, national indoor record. Yeah, national indoor record. Yeah. Was it a one one forty three? Yeah, one forty three six and second all time. And whose record
1: was that that you broke? Uh, Sub goals that stood for like thirty eight years and then. Um, only one guy has gone quicker, which is quite cool, really. But next year, I guess we have to try and get that.
0: I mean, that's an ama- amazing achievement, and congratulations on everything that you're doing. And we'll come back to that. But I hear that you could have had a different—you um, could have had a different uh, trajectory in sport, and that you—that you, were, that you were, there was another sport when you were growing up that you were pretty good at, and it was sailing.
1: Ah, yeah, that's a, that's a whole different chapter that is.
0: I am. Um, I remember. Um,
1: I remember rocking up. Well, I was saying that I was always lucky. We was in a school, in a city school, but we had like. I think we had funding to do like the outdoor activities and stuff. And I remember. Um. Yeah. We we used to go sailing once a week, but we largely went sailing because my mum works at the school, and it was a way to sort of avoid. Sorry, that's my dog. If you can hear, he's a bit, a bit grunty. Um. Yeah, it was a way to avoid sort of being in school. So we, I used to get to go sailing once a week, and then I went to. I competed for. Um, yeah, then I, I, I went to like the Birmingham schools regatta and then I won that and then went on to nationals and came dead last. So that's like, that's why I say it was a chapter that I don't really speak about because I remember rocking up thinking I was Billy Big Bullocks and then coming dead last at nationals and just like seeing all the guys with like names on their sails and stuff like that and me rocking up with a boat that I'm, like I've am i been given to use for the day. And yeah, it wasn't, yeah. Let's just say I didn't continue like competitively at sailing after that.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's fair. But it's probably fair to say from what I hear that you were a bit of a um, a sports wizard that pretty much most of what you turned your hand to you was good at.
1: Yeah, yeah I just played everything um, played everything that was to be fair, I gotta thank my mum though because my mum just put me in every sport possible. If there was a new sport going on, she just throw me in it in the deep end and it was kind of just like going sink or swim and we was able to swim every time which is quite fortunate.
0: The little story that I heard is that you were pretty partial to uh, Im- um, imitating WWE.
1: Oh, but, oh, my to, the,
0: yeah well, well your sister actually
1: oh my yeah my, says my that sister that
0: used to used to hang off her neck and uh, terrorize her
1: yeah my sister was like she was like it was weird she was almost like you know when you have a big brother that you look up to and you want to sort of beat him up all the time that was my sister was kind of that growing up it's, it's, it was a weird relationship because i remember she would always get if she was wearing a tracksuit, I'd always try and get a tracksuit that was like her. She'd get a pair of. Do you remember One Tens, the Nike trainers? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, proper like they're proper chabby now, but back then I was always wearing One Tens. I was always trying to look like, look like her and stuff like that. But yeah, no, she was um, she was kind of like the female big bro that you can't. I kind of looked up to, which is, I guess that doesn't normally happen really. Normally your sisters just normally your big sis, but she was yeah. I guess growing up she was
0: a little bit more than that in, in a sense. And you, you, I mean, you've got a. From what I've found, you've got a, like a really rich, close knit family. Oh yeah, I've got I've got quite a few bigger brothers. I like,
1: I I say I say that I've still got my bigger brother Andrew as well, who who he's the reason why I rode motorbikes and stuff like that. So I've, yeah, my family's brothers, and sisters, cousins. I mean, it's I guess everyone there's a tale with everyone there. And um yeah, our family's really close. It's quite nice actually. We're um
0: yeah, quite a, a really sort of supportive family in that sense. Looking back on your childhood now, in terms of your family aspect. Is it a time that you reflect on that has helped you where you are today?
1: Uh, I, I guess, I guess, cause I, I, cause I guess when you're in it, you know, no different. So I had brothers and sisters coming out left, right and centre and not really understanding it all and having such a big family, but I, I guess, I guess um, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for it, but yeah, I, I I've known, I, I guess I've known no different when I compare it to my girlfriend now, who's got quite a small family. I, I definitely am grateful for having quite such a big family because there's, there's, there's always so much going on There there's always so much fun and there was, I had so many cousins and everything and yeah, I'm definitely grateful for it, especially when you have so many uncles that are quite cool and aunties and the rest of it and yeah, the list goes on.
0: I bet Christmas is an interesting time when, when we're allowed to get together anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah it is. It's weird. We, we, we always talk about family reunions in our, in our, in our guests, but we never, um, it's always talk, they never actually seem to happen. And to be honest, getting everyone everyone in the same room would almost be impossible. Um, it's, it'd be difficult enough getting all of my brothers and sisters together, let alone the rest of the family. So, yeah, it was Christmas. Christmas is normally just like immediate immediate family, so like immediate brothers and sisters, and those who you spend the like majority of the time. And then I guess we branch out throughout the yeah, year. Yeah, of course. I, I mean, a family get together. My family would be like, oh man, we fill a stadium.
0: People often talk about being rich financially, or in things and items but being rich in family is is probably the greatest achievement and and fortune that anyone could possibly have
1: i agree i i do agree i mean you i mean you don't really know if you've never had it you can't miss it can you and i mean um i guess like my family weren't super wealthy growing up but i mean what we did have was the family aspect and i think i would take the family aspect over money any day of the week and then of course you can always get rich later on if you want but i'd rather grow up with what i had um and then work towards any wealth as i as i get older myself
0: i mean you're 26 yeah 26 and when i was looking into doing a little bit of research into you i'm not sure how you must have like 26 27 hours in a day with the stuff that you've done in your life up to now um it's been pretty eventful and, and diverse i think it's to say the least but in it, I mean, what you're doing now is, is fair. you're fairly successful, um, let's face it. And I know that it's not the end state of where you want to be, but it never started out like that. And the common thread from from uh, insiders, and there's no no uh, no real, real-time real stories, I can assure you, was that you were a little bit wayward. I mean, who are you speaking to? <laughs> we're <supposed> to be... <laughs> I, was, I was troubled to be fair, I'm not going to lie. I um... Apparently, um, apparently, I'm led to believe that you and Morgan were thick as thieves.
1: Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It's um, I think I grew up in um, do you know I'm different to Morgan because Morgan's a bad boy and he comes from a good area. So Morgan comes from Sully Hill and he was a bad boy. I came from Handsworth. So I was, I guess you could say that um I was I, I was almost an element of a product of my surroundings. I guess you could argue that. Um but I, I I sort of, I guess I was able to get out, luckily largely down to sort of family and like Uncle Kirk and the rest of it, George's Dad. Um and 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 tons of other factors there were so many different things that sort of helped me guide me away from it but you know me and Morg were definitely probably of of the younger generation of the cousins because we were sort of the we were the the last of the cousins um we were probably the two two bad boys but Morg was Morg was different Morg was Morg's um if you look at him now he looks looks like a big Samoan like Maori rugby player like he's he's a proper brute so you can imagine Morg was definitely he was the he was the second youngest second or third youngest um out of the cousins, and he was yeah. He was definitely the one that if if Morg flipped out, you ran away. But I was definitely
0: sort of in there as well. So it's his fault then, is that what you're saying? No, it wasn't Morg's fault. <laughs> but I, I probably instigated the majority of it. Although that you you had a bit of a way with childhood. The one thing that that sort of has jumped out from. I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's been some really interesting stories that were uh, on, you know, funny stuff that's come back and it shone through that your family's really really close and it was beautiful to to sort of be a little bit exposed to but the one thing that that come back as a common thread that although that you were quite wayward as a child you always were a really decent person like throughout so there was work that you did um, with autistic children teaching kayaking to to other other kids you know that, that that doesn't seem to fit the mold of a completely wayward individual yeah it's it's weird you you sort of when I when I normally have these podcasts we normally just talk
1: running and it's a yeah I I, I kind of forget that I did that I think um I think I was I'm not gonna lie I was a bad kid I I was a bad kid and I did get up to stuff I probably shouldn't have done but I was never like I, I never I never went too far too far over the line um but I guess I done I was I think one of the things I was always quite driven I always wanted to earn money I always wanted to um I wanted to better myself in every way I could. So I, I, I tried every job I could do. So I was at one point I was coaching. Um I was coaching at a school. Um I was also working in Topman and I was I was also working with kids with autism. Um and then I was trying to run at the same time. So I was trying to juggle everything at one time. So I'd literally go to college and then depending on the day of the week, I'd go I I'd I'd either train or go to work. And in the midst of this, I was cycling to everywhere I could get to. And I was just literally trying to do everything so I I guess working with the kids with autism was because I knew I needed to grow up um, and I knew that I I took a few wrong wrong turns sort of growing up so I just figured it would be a way for me to almost get a better understanding of of life if you like so I worked with kids with autism and that was I'm not gonna lie that that was tough that was I I struggled with it quite a lot um, only because I was 18 at the time and I was having to change kids that I I was at one point I had to change a kid that was 18 and had to change his nappy and stuff like that and I remember just standing at one point and thinking geez I, I I'm so out of my depth here but the guys that um who I was working with they just gave me a chance and they liked me and they gave me a chance at the job and um we had to do all sorts of training to do all of this kind of stuff and like dealing with kids that sort of can't hear speak um and just can't really interact with you and the, the span of autism is so broad that I'd work with some kids and some days we'd be like would be writing raps all day, and then I'd work with others that I can't even have any interaction, and then I'd work with others that be trying to bite, scratch, and fight you and stuff. And it was just so diverse. But I grew up a lot in that period of working with Kunta's autism. It was, it was crazy to be fair. It was really crazy. Um, but you know, I wasn't. I've, I've never been a bad. I've never been a bad person. I've definitely done a few bad things, but I always, I always try try my best to make up for them. And yeah, I, I'm definitely
0: um, I'm definitely not a little shit now. That's for sure. So, mate. I'm really interested in that where the part that you said that you always worked really hard and you worked. So the reason why you worked with autistic children is because you realised you had to grow up. Now I want to just focus on that a little bit because Elliot, the GB athlete is what we see now. We see the, the, what the, the records and the medals and the representation of your country, which is amazing but that had to start somewhere. And the reason why I ask this question is because there are millions of other inner city kids that didn't get a good start in life. And I'm trying to figure out whether there is a, a set of situations or circumstance or blueprints or and, and speaking to people like yourself that has done things to progress your life from a start that might not have dictated the end state that or the where you are now.
1: Yeah, I guess... What,
0: what was the mindset that you had at the time to go, you know what, I need to I need to grow up. Where did that... Yeah, that no, know. Know? I, guess, I guess
1: for the most part, I knew that I wanted to be successful, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I didn't really see what path I could take to be successful because I didn't enjoy school. I was good at sports, but I knew that I knew that being good at sports isn't good enough long-term. Like a career of an athlete, even as a kid, I knew that a career of an athlete is, is short-lived and I knew that I could probably do it to 30, 35 at max. So I am... Um, so did the, you realise this at 18. No, no, I realized this when I was sort of 15, 16. When I was, when I decided to make a change and not hang around with the kids I was hanging around with, and when I sort of almost became friendless in a sense, I kept my immediate friends that I'm still friends with now, but they're more like brothers. Um, but a lot of my school friends, I kind of went from being the most popular kid in school to literally like being like almost hated because I kind of fell out with people because I, I didn't agree with things. And I remember being in school and um I remember a few of my mates being like, oh, where's the old idiot gone? Like, we missed the old idiot. Why are you being a good boy now? And stuff like that. And I remember just falling out with pretty much being being sort of the main guy for like to just being a bit of a loser. I, I'm not actually, no, I'm going to rephrase I was never a loser, but I put myself outside of the popular bubble to achieve more. So if that makes any
0: sense. So, so then I started What um, sparked that? Why? So what, did you just get out of bed one day and think, yeah, I'm just going to change or like what was it? Uh, uh, you do so, because that's a big deal to do that at school as well
1: I don't know I remember Um, a few, it was a few things to be fair I guess I remember I was definitely hanging around the wrong crowd I remember getting into a few fights and stuff and I remember even thinking I, I don't think I want to go down this this sort of route and then things like my I remember Um, one of the bigger turning points was when my uncle pulled me apart pulled me aside and he sort of sat me down Um, and he gave me a good talking to him and he, he he sort of knew who I was hanging around with and I was hanging around with the wrong group I was hanging around with I don't want to say the wrong crowd because for me it was friends and family who I who I thought to be friends and family. Um and because I knew no, knew knew no different, I guess I was sort of I guess I was heading down the wrong path. And my my uncle basically found out and gave me a good talent to. And then I realized that like it was kind of like the oh shit moment. I probably should sort myself out. Um and then yeah, I pretty much fell out with after that moment, some a few things happened. I fell out with loads of friends at school and stuff. And I completely distanced myself from a lot of stuff that was going on um and things sort of unfolded from there but then and then from that moment I just figured I don't know what I don't know what I want to do with my life but I need to try and do as many things as possible so I remember it was I worked with the kids with autism Autism. I worked in retail I worked as a laborer with my, for my uncle for years and years and um, I worked in an M L T garage because I, I didn't know if I wanted to go into the automotive industry I worked in um i worked as i remember at one point i was considering the marines and i was thinking if i'm going to join the marines i need to i need to better myself um so then i decided to become a Domino's delivery rider so i could learn how to map read properly um and just just a lot of things like that i just tried to do as many as many things as possible and then i guess before i know it i knew it. i found myself at uni which i didn't think i'd ever do because I, I don't like i'd never have liked education really um and then yeah the, the running sort of took off but i think there was do you know what? It's, it's so it's hard to go back that far. So much has happened since. To pinpoint, I think one thing just led to the other, which led to the other, which led to the other, which led to the other. If that makes any sense. And I think things just sort of went from there. But it's it's hard to say there was any one thing. I just I guess so.
0: I guess I just kept pushing, kept my head down, and kept grinding, and I found myself where I am. What did it? Can you remember any of the conversations that you had? You know, when you you decided, right? Today's the day that. I'm now I'm now moving in a different direction. You go to school, and 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 the reason why I ask this is because if there's any kids that are listening to this that aspire to be more than where they are now, there's there's sacrifice to make for that. Whether it's through like you've done changing your your social group or your employment or having to work longer hours or what, there's sacrifice to make. And I think it, if you what that's like at school because the peer pressure is really really big at school
1: I guess I guess largely comes from within you can't you can have all the advice in the world but unless you unless you want to change you're never going to change um so it's, it's tough I mean you could give you could give a kid that is an absolute whiz at IT but he's troubled in some way and he's never going to be he's never going to do well for himself if he's if he doesn't want to change so even even as a kid the only person who's going to make that difference is, is yourself and I guess understanding that's quite hard because when you've got the when you have got the mindset of a, of a child you don't really understand I mean that's not going to make any sense but I guess you have got to have something within you that wants to spark that movement that says like right I want to be successful I don't know how I'm going to do it but I'm willing to grind and make it happen um so i it's tough if, if the kid wants to change the kid's got to do it from within they, they can't be forced into it so your parents can't be nagging you every day your teachers can't be telling you oh you you could be here you can't be here um because like right in sport talent will only get you so far but the, the hard work going to get get you the medals and the big wins um so i guess i guess you've just got to believe in, in inside that you can be better than whatever you think you are and and not necessarily set a dream or a goal and just just work towards it because if you think too far ahead you almost, get, you almost get lost in the actual process. you got to sort of think of the day-to-day and then what comes later on will only come once you put the day-to-days together. Um, so yeah, it's tough. The kid's got to want to change. If your
0: kid really wants to change, it's, it's up to them. So I, I think it's pretty incredible that at 15 years old, you'd already mapped out the next 20 years. Because I remember when I was 15 years old, I didn't know what was going on next week. Oh man, I, I,
1: I, uh, don't be fooled. I I didn't, I didn't map out anything. I even now I still think what's going to happen after my running. I'm still doing. I've got quite a few. I've got five or six different ventures going on because I don't know which one's going to come off. I know something's going to work and I know I'm going to be successful. But I don't know which one's going to be that thing. But I know that if I don't try now and I don't don't keep pushing, um, then I'm I'm not going to be successful. But again, I nothing. Believe me, nothing's mapped out, and I'm I'm still only. I I still don't consider myself successful I had one good race that would put me on sort of the world level indoors but I've I haven't come close to what I want to achieve in running um and I haven't even scraped the surface of what I want to achieve in life so I've yeah I've got a few different ventures I've got going on now but I have no idea what comes tomorrow let alone the next day I just know that the harder I work today will lead to tomorrow and tomorrow comes to the next day that's I guess that's the way I'm sort of viewing it you can't I'm not looking at myself saying oh I, I want to be a millionaire in five years time because that's Anybody who thinks like that, in my opinion, is a bit of an idiot. Unless you're going to make it happen, because people have these sort of 10-year plans, oh, I want to be living in this house by this point. But in reality, you better off thinking about what happens tomorrow and next week um, because that's what's going to lead to that house or situation or family, whatever it is you strive for in life. Um, You've got to think about the now, the today, and worry about the later when the later comes.
0: Do you sit down and actually plan your what your life goals are outside of the track. So the same as you would sit down with your coach and they'll talk about your season and they'll talk about you know the the chunks that make it go into it and your preparation. Do you do that outside of the track? I don't I don't
1: honestly I I don't think beyond the now. If I'm being brutally honest, I just I I don't know it's so easy to think so far ahead and I've even just said it. I just I, I think if you if you think too far ahead you miss what's going on and you miss the intricacies that you or the steps that you you should have covered a bit more or the lessons that you could have learned by trying to think too far ahead. And like, like, yeah, no, I definitely don't plan stuff. I just, I just roll with it. I just keep trying to move and keep trying to grow. And, and then I know that with each step you take is another box ticked. And then once you've achieved that, you move on to the next one. And, even if it's like buying a house, the first step's getting onto the ladder. The next step's then getting a bigger house. The next step's getting more bedrooms. The next step's getting a garden, etc. And but you don't think about the mansion before you've before you've even gotten the mortgage ladder. Um, and you've got to keep building around that with a million different things. And it's obviously stressful in life doing things that way. Um, but it's but it's it's easier because you're you're learning a process as opposed to trying to jump too far in.
0: Yeah, when I was reading when I was doing my research before we 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 obviously sat down to talk, Gaelic football came up.
1: But have you and played?
0: Like, you know, but, no, oh, I haven't, man. I haven't, but like, this kid, man. this kid's from Birmingham. Like, I don't know anybody that's ever played Gaelic football that isn't from Ireland. Hmm. So how, how, talk to us, talk to me about that.
1: Again, it was my mum. My mum threw us in the deep end with sports and stuff. Um And she made us play, sort of play Gaelic football. And there was this old Irish dude that used to live in the, live in the area. Um, and he loves the sport. So he, he sort of got us all playing. Um. And yeah, we, we just played and we loved it. It was good. It was rough, though. It was if you think rugby's bad, football football's a whole different different level. Not in terms of because rugby's obviously just a blunt force hit, so it is rough. But I yeah, I've, I mean, I played both sports, and Gaelic football's far rougher than rugby. I'm, so was I'm I'm so that
0: know. from school then, or was it a local club? Or? No, no, it was a
1: local club. We played Gaelic football, and then that led down to rugby and stuff. Um, and it was just we played. I mean, we played over in Quote Park um, at the All-Ireland Final, you know, during the half time. And I think it was Dublin versus Laos or something like that. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Um, and I was like 81,000 people in the park and I, I represented Warwickshire there to play over there. And we went on like a tour of Ireland and we were playing all the teams over there and stuff. And, yeah, no, we just, we, we enjoyed the sport to be fair. Um, and I was, yeah, one of, one of the only kids, in, 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 to be fair, our team were the only kids of sort of, with sort of colour, if you like, in, um, in that sport. And I think that kind of made us like a really sort of a standout team because we were so sort of diverse and unconventional in that sport, um, and we were good at it as well. We were really good at it. Um, we were we were arguably one of the best teams in in Birmingham. Um, I'd, have, I'd I'd be biased and say the best, but it was probably be biased. biased. No, be biased. Yeah, this fine. Yeah. But now we were a good team. I enjoyed it as well. That was a good sport. But that came to an abrupt end because I it just got a bit too much, and I I just couldn't keep handling um, playing Gaelic football after a while.
0: What, what, do, what do you mean, just for the physicality it, of it? it?
1: Yeah, it just got... I, I became one of the only guys of sort of the old... The, I was I started off as like the youngest in the team and then I, I became one of the oldest in the team and things were just getting too physical and and I didn't have people sort of defending me like we did when... Because before we used to be a family unit in the team and if anyone kicked off, you had the whole squad defending you. Towards the end, it wasn't like that. And I remember I remember playing the team over in Coventry and I just remember getting punched in my face, slapped in my face, hit so many times, and then saying to my coach, like, I was retaliating, obviously, and if they hit me, I'd hit them back as soon as they had the ball, and I was fouling, but every time I got fouled, there was no foul call, but every time I fouled them, there was a foul called. and then my coach was, I remember the coach at the time was saying that it was my, I was the issue, and then my mum was getting heated on the side, my, like, my, the team was, like, all, like, trying to support me, but they didn't at the time they didn't quite have like the balls to um to really sort of stand up and, and stand by me. And and then eventually I remember the coach said it was my fault. And then long story short, I got fouled one too many times. I just remember getting hit in the face as they as they tried to like tap the ball out of my hand. He just completely missed the ball and just like whacked me in my face with like an open, open fist. Um and then I remember sort of just dropping the ball and just like squaring up to him. And then I had, I had two hands around my throat. So I sort of had one, one each in, um, in the other. And then my mum just like saw on the pitch and was just like, look, he's out, he's not coming back. And to be fair, it was the right decision. Cause I remember thinking I, I was, I was game to, to fight them all, but you can't fight a whole team when, when no one's defending you. And especially when you're being told that, that you're the one that's doing the wrong. When I wasn't doing the wrong, I was just good at the sport. So obviously it frustrates people when you're good at a sport and you can whiz through them. Um, and yeah, that was um, that was a, an abrupt end to the sport. But I, I did love it. I just didn't quite have the team that we had before. Because if I had one person defending me that day, I would have been fine. That one person on my side. But I felt like it was me against a whole team. And then the team that was playing that day weren't down to riding me. They weren't. They weren't there for me. So it was, um, yeah, it was a
0: tough one. So we just we
1: left. We left from then, and we we walked away from the sport.
0: Sounds like the the, the women in your life are. Uh... full-on lionesses because (laughs) when we move over to contact sports into rugby there's another theme that came back on on an infamous rugby tour and some stories about uh, when you were growing up um, that your mum Kim and auntie Jackie were very fortunate Um, I was very fortunate of a few little anecdotes um, on said rugby tours so your auntie said you know, this might be where your uh, business now came came from. Where you were, there was a story about uh, the shop being at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, and uh, and you, uh, do you want to explain that and that about what you were you were offering to go and fetch groceries or something like that
1: oh man i, I don't remember half I, i've done so much stuff I, I was probably just young and just cheeky at that point well, she, she, the
0: word the word that she used was like you were fleecing parents because they couldn't be bothered to go down to the bottom of the sh- bottom of the road so you were paying delivery charge
1: oh no that hill was i think i remember that and i think the, the hill wasn't a normal hill like this hill was steep Like i'm talking like if you're going to the, the caravan you were going once a day because it was too steep walking up it so I don't know. Maybe we probably got a little hustle on where we were probably charging people to go up to the vans and stuff. Um, that probably that that's believable to be honest, because this hill was um, it was pretty steep. So and we didn't mind running. So I probably
0: teamed up with I probably teamed up with a few people to to make a bit of money there. And they say and they, yeah, and they were saying that um, your mum had mentioned something about skateboarding on swimming pool slides.
1: Oh yeah, we were we were really bad that day. To be fair, I have to admit we. It's weird when you're a kid, you don't you, you don't really see it, but they just so this site we were saying that was a it's like a huge water park. I was and it was bad because I was one of the older kids on the tour, so it was me and Jack, the, some of the older kids, and they just painted all of these um slides. But obviously we we wanted to play on the slides even though you're not supposed to. And there's there's obviously people walking around to stop you going in anywhere near because they're working on it. But as the workers would like start painting on different side, we'd like find one of the flames because there was like there was about. There's about fifteen different slides, so there's obviously they couldn't cover all fifteen. So we'd like run on, and we'd like two of us to sit on a skateboard, and we'd just fly down these slides on the skateboards. Obviously, we would as we were doing it, we would we would destroy all the new paint. So every time they would paint a side, they'd come back to it and see when it was dry, and they'd see all these skateboard marks and stuff. And we'd obviously come off all blue from where we got paint all over us. And then they'd tell us off from rather than like stop, and we'd just jump onto a different slide. And then because because the banks are so high, they couldn't see us, they could only ever hear us. And we just like whiz, and then we would sprint back to the top, and we do another one. But yeah, I think we uh, wound the campsite up after that because we weren't supposed to be on the sides, but
0: it was good fun though. It's good memories, and, yeah. and then and you know And where where did you think it was a good idea to jump in a tiger enclosure?
1: Oh, uh, that's Jesus. Well, you're going back. Now.
0: Um, I got well, some, I got some stories. Mate, I was, um,
1: we went. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that World Professor. We was at the zoo. I think I was with Tom, and. um See, this is dumb. This is this is really dumb thinking about. It. It was in, it was in, I think we was in Germany. We was on a rugby tour and um I don't know why, but I, I jumped over one of the fences and I I remember I had a stick and there was a tiger in there. And I remember like poking the tiger, like trying to poke the tiger with a stick. I was bearing in mind, I'm saying this now, but I was a kid at the time, like I obviously didn't think. So I remember jumping over the fence, poking this tiger, and then I remember Steve catching me. I did I, that's, that's a hazy memory. I remember doing it, but I don't remember why I did it. I, mean, I don't know why I thought that was a good idea because, yeah, that was dumb. That one was, that one was dumb. I forgot about that, to be honest.
0: Mate, it, it just adds to the uh, diversity of your life, you know, the, yeah, the, was, yeah, the experiences, you know, and I, I'm a firm, not that I would advocate jumping into a, a tiger or a lion's enclosure to poke them with a stick, but I think the point is, is like where you are now, all this stuff adds up to, no matter the formula, it adds up to 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 get you where you need to go, you know.
1: Yeah, that was. But yeah, uh,
0: if there's any kids listening, I'm not saying jump in a tiger enclosure closure to be good at running. Yeah, no, it's,
1: it's not as easy to get into those enclosures now. They um. Definitely <laughs> far more, yeah,
0: geez, you tested was, the security. Yeah.
1: yeah, that was that was pretty cheap. I remember, but on that same day, we didn't just do that. We also jumped into um. It was another enclosure, and um, I can only describe it as like there was the way they separated the animals from from the animal from people was. They had like a massive like trench, which was probably like, like maybe 15 foot long like and it was super deep. It was just water. And that's how they separated. So it looks like you could be in the enclosure for this one. I can't remember what animal it was. I think it might have been some sort of big bison or something like that. It was I don't know what it was, but I remember we we jumped on the side of the enclosure and we walked along and we managed to get in on that one. But I'd, do you know what it is? I think when you're a monkey and you're a kid, it's because I think we had a day in the zoo. I think we must have been near it. And we got away from the parents. So obviously it's like it's like a red light moment where you just think, well, I'm going in. So I remember we jumped into this enclosure and that one was dumb because have you seen bisons with lions in the wild? Is it bisons? The one with the, the really, really thick horns, like super thick. And it's like a, almost like two rocks on the head. Um, that was pretty dumb
0: to be fair. Oh yeah, that was, I forget about these. Mate, we won't have enough time to go through them all. Honestly, I think we could just do a podcast on on these stories, for, you know, throughout. <laughs> but look, I'm gonna I'm gonna move I'm gonna move on. But but just before I do, that's where at the start when I said about having a small snapshot and exposure to like your, your family unit has been amazing mm. because you can see the warmth and love of the anecdotal stories that come off. And like when when I asked Jordan. I said, mate, have you got any um, inside information? I was, hounded, like, I was hounded, like with stuff that he text out and sent back in, yeah. because like it wasn't like it was it was out of yeah yeah. I've got like they're so excited for you, you know, and it was beautiful to <laughs> see. It really was. And if any of them listen to this, I, I thank you for that.
1: Yeah, it's funny. My family are my biggest supporters, even when I see in social media and stuff. I'm, I'm not really one to promote myself, but I'm lucky I've got a family like I do, and they do they do all the promoting for me because I'm. Yeah, I I don't know why I'm not one to really try and big up my chest too much, but they they definitely they definitely make it hurt if I've done one. It's it's quite nice to see
0: actually because then they're, they're proud of you, man.
1: Yeah, it is, it is quite nice. So, 2016.
0: 2016, yeah. Yeah, Rio Olympics. Yeah. When you look on Wikipedia, and you search your your performance, it says heats knocked out yeah. in the heats. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for the armchair warriors that are out there. They would look at that and go, "Oh, classic, UK Britain again, not doing very well." But actually, what it doesn't say is the context behind the two years leading up to that games.
1: So, so, so that that year was a big year, to be fair. I mean, even making even making the team was was a momentous achievement. It was it was big, really big for me at the time because a year a year prior, I wasn't even considered an athlete. Um, sorry, I was considered an athlete, but I wasn't considered good. Two years prior, I would I wouldn't have even made British champs. I wouldn't have even been invited to British champs, um, so there was a there was a big build up. So I guess I guess I started running I started running um, at sixteen, and then I ran for a year and a half to two years, and then I spent three and a half years injured. I didn't race for three and a half years, and at the end of those three and a half years, I had a I had a motorbike crash, um, so I was already injured by this point for three and a half years, and then I had the crash, and then I somehow after the back of this crash, I I don't know how I did it. Um, yeah I I just made a massive jump sort of a year later and then 18 months later I found myself at British champs final um winning British champs going to the Europeans coming third at the Europeans having been ranked like 66th to 66th out of everyone so I was was pretty much the worst at at the competition and then I went from from third at Europeans to sort of going to uh, making the British team and running in the Olympics and stuff like that but it was um the roller coaster to that point was was Pretty insane looking back because I I shouldn't I shouldn't have made the team on paper because I went from running one minute fifty three seconds to running one minute forty five seconds a year and a half later which when you when you break that down on paper that's like a an eight seven or eight second PB which it it just doesn't happen in our sport like ever and I was I wasn't even that young I was twenty one I think I was twenty one at the time um so I wasn't like a young buck or anything I just had a serious streak of bad luck unfortunate fall of events but i just had this dogged determination where i just wouldn't give up and i, I just completely refused to give up i know wasn't really an option um even though when i was running 153 and i wasn't even considered an athlete i yeah they, no one could tell me i wasn't an athlete because i believed in myself enough to believe that i could be And yeah i guess i guess that i guess the bike crash actually probably helped me because it kind of catapulted me into into sewing things down and and being an athlete in a in a sense and um, long story short, the the yeah the, cra- the crash was bad. Um, sort of stuff happened in it, and the events that led after it sort of definitely helped shape me into to what I am now.
0: I wanna I wanna not have that short story. I'd like to talk about that because I don't think you're doing yourself any justice by fleeting over that. Because yeah. the journey from where that, that start point after the crash is not just a broken finger. You know, we're we're talking um, life changing injury at the time so not even just athletics just in life anyway can you just describe a, a bit a little bit more about that because I think put in context the achievements of making the Olympic team
1: so I was a. Uh, so when I had the crash um like I said I, I wasn't considered an athlete um I was a kid um I was I loved motorbikes I love speed I love adrenaline anything that sort of gets the blood blood rushing that was sort of my thing um so I went to pick up my little brother from rugby one day. And as we were on the way back, we were driving through Birmingham city centre and there was a three lane road. Um, the roads all changed down Birmingham, but it was near the mailbox. This lady was in the third lane. I was in the first lane coming up to traffic light. She missed her turn and jumped two lanes um, and basically side swiped us. Um, she, my little brother went over the top of the bike. I was sort of trapped in between. So she crushed my knee between the bike and the car. I then, my little brother was lucky. He went over the top because he wasn't trapped. So he went sort of over the top. And I think he just said he remembers sort of flying in the air. Um, and then I because I don't remember it, I still don't remember anything from it. I can only tell you what I saw in the CCTV footage. And then I came off the, the side of the bike, landed half on the curb, and then hit my head of a ballard. So I was knocked out. But I think for me, it wasn't for me, it's not too traumatic because I don't remember anything from it. Obviously, for my little brother, he would have stood up and saw Big Bro knocked out. And um, to be fair, we haven't even had the discussion, like, even we're talking we're talking sort of five six years on and we still haven't even had that discussion really um but yeah for him it was probably far more scary than it was for me i just remember waking up in the hospital and just being in agony and feeling like my knee was literally not a part of my body and it was just the throbbing pain i, I can't tell you what the pain was like in my knee my lower back feeling like it was broke even though it wasn't broken it was just severely bruised because i i tore my piece out in my knee i the bruises in my in my lower back and the tear in my my right glute. Like even now, my my right glute still deformed. The muscle because where it where it tore off, it's obviously reattached and it's kind of like it's lower down from where it's reattached. So my glute was a mess, my head was a mess, my back was a mess, my knee was a mess. And then I spent like three weeks. I couldn't move. I was discharged luckily from the hospital the following day, but I couldn't move out of bed for three weeks. um So I was laying in bed and sort of mum and dad and brothers bringing my food to me in bed and stuff like that and not being able to move and having to wean to like a milk bottle off the side of the bed and not being able to go for a poo for like three weeks and having like severe constipation and the belly cramps were making my back hurt because I was like trying to wince and yeah it was a it was a dark place it was a dark place because I there was a point where I hit such a low that it was sort of like two and a half weeks into it and I remember like my hands just peeling like a snake and I could literally peel the the skin off my hands it was that bad and I don't know if that was related to me being in bed or what but yeah, I hit, I hit a major, major, major low. Um, and from then on, I just, I remember lying in bed and just saying, I'm never going to let anything that scares me or if I can get through this and I can get through anything. And I set myself up with, like, a challenge. Um, and I said to myself, like, I called it, like, conquering my demons and anything that sort of scared me, I, I just decided to, um, yeah, I decided just to take it on, like, just, and if it, if it was big or small, it was, like, I have to do it because it scares me. Um and because I went into such a dark place, I figured I couldn't get any darker than what I was in. So whatever I faced, I knew that coming ahead, I knew that it wouldn't be as bad as as what it was like lying in bed and not being able to ride my bike um, because that was my freedom when I was always injured all the time from the three and a half years prior. Um, not being able to run or train, like, because normally I could, if I couldn't run, I could always still do f- some form of training and I couldn't get any sort of form of exercise to sort of give me an out. And I guess, I guess, yeah conquering my demons is just something that i just sort of developed and if it scared me i did it so it started off with little things like i was i could i'm okay with heights but they scared me a little bit so i remember i was in portugal once and i remember climbing up a floodlit tower um like the, you know the, the floodlights that you get at the like football stadiums so i started climbing up and about about just before the top the, it was no longer enclosed and i was about 10 meters that was wasn't enclosed and as i was climbing up i remember like so looking down and just thinking like yeah this is you know that squeaky bum moment where you're like yeah this is this is pretty scary now and I but obviously I knew I had to get to to the top so I got to the top looked down and then it was that old damn moment like shit I need to get back down here like then then it was a then I realized that what I did was pretty stupid because when I had to climb back down that that section that wasn't no longer enclosed like it wasn't it wasn't like a I might die it was kind of like a I will die kind of thing but obviously I wasn't going to stop because I had to come down regardless. But I remember looking down and when you're at the top of these things, they actually sway ever so slightly. They're not actually, they look stale, but they sway and everyone looks so small below. Um, I got back down and I thought, yeah, right, that's like the first thing I've done. And I just started like checking off little things here and there and everything that scared me. And it was little things like, I remember... Um, the, the, the scariest one I did was definitely the carry was definitely when I was in the issue, and because I was struggling to read and write at uni because my because my head was such a mess and I had brain damage from the crash um I would do I'd write like assignments and stuff and my assignments weren't making any sense so I'd just write like I'd always meet the word count but it was a mess it was literally there was no context to anything I was writing there was no sentence structure it was just gibberish but I would just basically type until I got the word count and then just submit it and then my lecturers brought me in, and they were just like, "Look, I, this isn't the same guy that was here in year one. That when you was in your first year, you were submitting half decent assignments. Now this is just like long story short." So I had to tell them, and I told them everything. And I was in the library, and I was getting frustrated. And um, I remember walking back from the library, and in at my university, we had you had the halls of res- residence, and then you had the SU, and then you had the the library, and all the lecture theatres like to the side. And as I was walking past, I had to walk back past the SU. Um, with my like I had my laptop in one hand books in the other and I just remember feeling so deflated and like almost defeated that I just couldn't because I because my head was a mess and I didn't have my family around there was no one no one really knew me well enough to knew that was something going on and because I was so confused I didn't really know what was going on myself so I I felt I don't know I guess I felt an element of feeling I don't know I don't know if I was lonely or I I felt lost and I almost had to I was almost trying to reinvent myself because I, I, I my memory was so bad and I couldn't remember so much about that period and it was a bit of like a it was a really dark period and I was going out a lot I went from going out twice in the whole of my first year to literally going out four times a week and spending all of my savings I had over the years and I was drinking and to sort of numb the pain of of like my knee hurting my back hurting not being able to run and the rest of it and and then as I was as I was leaving this library books in one hand laptop in the other and then there was karaoke going on in there and I remember looking in and you know what issues are like issues are always popping there's always crazy amounts of people like having a good time there's beers being thrown there's just like it's always good vibes it's messy but it's fun and as I looked in I'm, I had that sort of angel and demon moment and it was kind of like one side saying like don't do it the other side just saying just do it and I don't know why I just I walked in and I was just I walked in I, I just knew I had to do it um it sounds stupid but I knew I had to do it and as I as I walked in I kind of just walked in. I, I saw the guy chairing the SU and I, I knew the guy who was chairing it and he was he was a mate of mine. I just said to him, like, can I have a go? And as soon as the second I have a go? Like, the hearts just starts beating and I, it's just, and I don't like speaking in public and I knew that, I knew that because I said to myself, I need to do everything that scares me. I need, this is one of those things and because I struggled with public speaking, I kind of went in and I was just like, yeah, all right, cool. Let's, let's, in my head, you kind of have that moment. like, Let's do it. So I stood on the stage and you can just see a sea of drunk people. And of, of course that made it a little bit easier, but then, yeah, I was, I was I was nervous and the heart was beating. So I, they asked me like, what did I want to do? I spoke to the DJ guy and I, I picked the rudest song that I could think of. And it was Colt 45 by Afro, man. And um, I've told this to a few people now, this story. And I remember, um, I remember, yeah, I remember the intro started and when you're, when you're rapping that song, you normally skip the intro, but when you're obviously doing the karaoke, you can't skip it. So I had to stand on the start and the, with the mic for about 40 seconds just like completely sober I didn't have a drink and just seeing a ton of people in the SU that I don't really even know myself that well um and yeah I I rapped this song and it started and it just got ruder and ruder and ruder and the the lyrics that shouldn't be repeated it's that bad and it definitely needs to be censored now that song but no I I got through it and I remember leaving I remember leaving the SU after it and people probably expected like a Chris Brown performance but it wasn't it was terrible it was awful but it was tragic but for me it was like a momentous moment it was like a Yes, this is another thing ticked. I can do the next thing. So I remember walking back um, across the field, back to the SU and just, you know, and you can just smile ear to ear and you're just like, yeah, I've done it. Because throughout all of this period, I kept having nightmares and the nightmares, I'd always wake up in a hot sweat and it was always a, the same same um, as were, a yellow, or orange Suzuki Swift or 4K. It was one of them. I can't remember to run well and always sideswipe, but I'd always wake up in like a hot flush like before it hit me. And I remember just having those nightmares for so long, I just got so fed up that I knew I needed to do something about it. And I slept well that night. I remember going back and I had the best sleep I had in months and months. And then from then on, I just knew that everything got everything that scared me. I just needed to keep taking it on. And in my head, it was like, if I can do it, then there's nothing else that can stop me. So little things like getting back on the bike scared me. So I remember going home one day and long story short, I checked over the bike. Put a new chain on it and stuff put a new battery in and within half an hour i was back on the motorway riding back i insured it and I was, I was back on the motorway riding back and then mom sort of going mad about me riding the bike again and just yeah long story short it was just it was literally just the process of if it scares you take it head on and don't run away from it because the moment you run away you've kind of lost and, and you lose yourself in the process and i guess i guess adopting that that thought process was like a, a theme that I, I always run with now and it's a phrase that I always say and, and I always say emotion is your imagination running wild and if you can control that that part of the of your emotion then your imagination isn't going to come into play and, and you can chill and you can run it so like when I run now I used to like I used to prowl up and down like a like a caged lion just like ready just to kill everyone whereas now I'm just like in my head point it bluntly I'm just like fuck it I'm here to run and if you're going to beat me, I'm going to make you work for it. And I can smile now and I can enjoy it and I can embrace it. I don't, I don't spend the night before nervous before a race. Cause I, I enjoy the process of what's coming on and stuff like that. And yeah, by that phrase of emotion, is your imagination running wild? I use it in everything. Now, literally, if, if I'm faced with a situation, I'm like, right. If I get emotional in this state, how am I going to react and how is it going to impact my performance or my next decision making? How's that going to impact me? A few moments down the line so now i guess when you ask me about do i plan what comes next i guess i plan it in the sense that in that moment i think how does my reaction impact my next move and um it works in running because it means that you just don't panic and you don't tense up and my friends used to call me like quasimodo because i'd like hunch up in my arms when i raced and stuff because i would just panic and just try and get back whereas now i'm just i'm just chilled and calm and i just take it as it comes because it is what it is. You can only control the controllable and what I can control is, is how I do things. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess now that anything that does fear me, but nothing. I'm, I'm not scared of anything now, really, to be honest. I Obviously there are things that do scare me, but I know that, I know that I, if I'm willing to take it on, then it's not going to conquer me. Um, what about uh, spiders? Ah, uh, so yeah, that's, that's different. That's different. That's, that's, yeah, that's something we don't discuss. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've just—I completely shot myself in the foot there, haven't I?
0: Hey, well, what you've I mean, done you is, is
1: you... I was giving it Billy Big by the but I'm not touching yeah, a spider. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, <laughs> so basically, basically, what what's just happened there is you've just you've just committed to conquering your conquering your demons and to use your phrase, no, no, emotion not, is basically when it comes to spiders, emotion is your imagination running wild.
1: That, but it, it's context. It's context.
0: Okay, is, right. okay
1: so when I when I, I'm going to try and defend myself here and, cr- and crawl out of this, this
0: grave I've just dug so I've I've I, I didn't lead you into that you look yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm not I'm not I'm not touching a spider I've got no a spider doesn't serve a purpose unless I'm living out in Australia I don't there's no reason for me in to,
0: fairness climbing up a floodlight doesn't serve a purpose either
1: but it did because I knew that if I could do this, because it was a physical aspect of my life, and it was like taking something on. Whereas a spider, yeah, a spider's not relevant.
0: There's just no, there's no need to hold a spider. Nobody needs to hold a spider. There's so okay. So that, we just caveat that then. So yeah. emotion is your imagination running wild, except when dealing with spiders.
1: Yeah, if 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 it, if it is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't really, I can't come back on that one. I'm not touching but, a spider though. That's
0: but mate. Going back into what you've just said, when you talk about what you mentioned about the SU bar, there's, um, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's worth looking up if you haven't. Is a, is a, she's an American psychologist called Brené Brown. Yeah. And, she, and she does a TED talk, talks about vulnerability. Um, and she talks about man in the man in the arena quote. And we often stand there looking into the arena saying, it'd be amazing if I, if I could do that. But I'm just going to wait until I become a bit, bit better at it or I'm, I'm a bit more protected or I'm a bit more this and we wait and wait and wait and actually true vulnerability is saying I'm just going to go and do it and yeah and that's where it's not the critic that counts yeah I, um, I
1: try and say it to my girlfriend all the time I'm like because she she just gets scared of some things I'm just like look I always say that like, Meg if you think about it you've 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 missed the boat the boats or the ship sailed you you're not going to get it back you if you're going to do it you can't you can't act and be like, right, I'm gonna do it at this point. I'm gonna plan it because it's gonna be perfect and it's gonna go perfect. You just have to just jump in with two feet and just be like, and just not think you're just gonna take it on and and with each each section of of that boat ride, you just gotta tackle each, you can't think about getting from A to B. Just just tackle each each sector and every storm you have to pass and all the rest of it. And yeah, I I completely agree with that. I you can't you can't you can't plan these things, you've just got to do them. Um, and that's that's so much harder that's so much easier said than done but it's you can start small and build up but the, what you can't do is say oh I'm going to do it here because the moment you make it an, the moment you make it an issue it, it becomes an issue and I always it sounds really bad me saying this but I think I need to be very careful how I wear this but I do think a lot of I need to I'm being very careful how I word this but I do think a lot of issues with people suffering with anxiety and stuff like that is because they're not willing to make the first move and that's very small that very small thing suddenly becomes a mountain and that very small hill that they could conquer they've allowed to evolve and evolve and evolve until it's become something so big and so sort of hazy and there's just no path out of it
0: that they- yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with that and and I think the reason for that is not the individual's fault yeah that's I all. agree it's there is, there is a there is a some people are built with the ability to be able to apply certain psychological skills naturally. Yeah. Some people aren't. Um, some people need to be taught these things. Some people have a predisposition. That's not there. you know, it's so I don't think there's I I don't think there's anything wrong in saying what you've just said, but there's obviously reasons why that happens. And yeah. I think it's important if people can't make the first move that uh, the first, the first part, as far as I'm concerned, is identifying that. And then, Trying to work out the best plan for that individual to try and make that first move. Yeah,
1: and uh, it's again—that's why I say, like, again, like, anxiety is so broad. I can only, I can only, I can only vouch for what I've experienced with with issues that I've tackled. I can't vouch for everyone else in the world that has because the way I deal with things is obviously going to be very different to other people. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't advise someone to go and try and do a karaoke by themselves just because it's a challenge. I wouldn't advise someone to climb something it's everyone deals with things differently and obviously people need help in different ways um so it it is obviously very very broad but and you don't really know i guess what's going on in someone's head unless you're in their head and so it's it's so easy for me to make that comment without really knowing what someone is dealing with but i guess i guess my way is it's probably an unconventional way and it's if it scares you just just take it on and if you don't take it on it and even if you lose and you and it does conquer you just keep pushing and, but I guess that's just a, a really broad,
0: stupid, naive way of almost unit because sometimes it's just lazy. But you say that, but there'll be other people that deal with stuff that way as well, and that's the that's the beauty yeah. of the human race, right? That yeah, everyone's yeah. got their own ways of doing things, and the whole point of this is that someone listening to this may lean towards your a way that you do it. Yeah. But then listen to someone else and they, they might be more lean towards them. So that you know it's and that's that's the whole point is you, we, we try and you, learn from each figure other. Figure out
1: ways to do it. It's even like in my running and stuff. I remember at one point I thought like the goalposts move. This is why in training I don't I don't wear a watch when I train. Um and there's a there's a good reason for it because when you use a watch, you, you run to within your limits. So if we for instance we were training, we done a 15 minute run yesterday. And I purposely never wear a watch for a 15-minute run because I'm not, I don't care what pace I'm going for a K and what I'm in because the goalpost for me today will be very different for my goalpost tomorrow. And what I can do today, I won't be able to do tomorrow. So my theory is, is that I'm just gonna run to what I feel. So I'm gonna run hard. So if I if I wear a watch, I'm setting, I'm setting an almost a barrier within my limits. So I'm saying if I want to run 440 pace for a mile for that, those 15 minutes or 430 pace or 420 pace. I'm, I'm gonna be watching yeah I'm gonna watch my watch thinking like right I need to be running 420s for all of this but if I just run I'm not setting a, a barrier I'm just running as long as you don't go off too hard and you understand how your body works you you don't know what you can achieve and which is why like when I ran my 143 I didn't I didn't watch the clock once I didn't know what pace I went through the first 200 first 400 first first 600 I just knew how to run the race for myself and I knew how I should be feeling at certain points. Um, so I ran it smooth and controlled without clock watching. So for me, that's the way I, I would approach it, because just because you're in 144 shape doesn't mean you can't pop out a 143 or 142, or you might actually be in 144 shape and run a 146 in, the, in running terms because your body's not ready. That's why I always think sometimes your best bet is to approach it almost open minded with no expectation. Like, don't expect to win the race because you're the quickest on paper. Expect to do it because you execute a plan and you listen to your body and you do it the way is the best way. Um and I guess I guess largely that's that's the way I would approach sort of the training and and sort of life aspect is don't don't set a target. Um so if you're going for a 30-mile hike, like for me it's 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 not setting, it's it's allowing your mind to be far more broad. And if you do set off at a brisk pace, it's not it's not worrying that if you're on that 30-mile hike that you're gonna blow up because the reality is is you could well finish that hike and be like oh I could have gone harder or you could well on the flip side go into it and be an idiot and overcook it but you won't know unless in, unless you try it um and I guess I guess that's where where so have I come from and I've, I've never I've never I very rarely blow up because I'm, I'm in tune with my body to understand how it works and I guess that that there you do need to understand how your body works um and where you can push yourself and when to push and when not to but I guess you yeah, don't set too many limits because if when you do start setting those limits that you will only ever achieve those limits and you won't see what more can be achieved which is probably why i ran the time i did indoors because i didn't. the plan was the plan was to try and the overall broad plan was to run the british record but the plan on the day was just to run as quick as i as i could possibly run and that's what i did and i ran my race and i ran sort of the second quickest time in, in the world ever which is is pretty cool looking back on but now we reset. We go again in the summer, and we 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 have ideas of what we want to achieve. But on the day, we just do what I can do, not what anybody else can do.
0: I've been reliably informed that that wasn't the only injury that you've had in your in your life. Your brother Dan reliably informs me that you didn't have a neck when you were when you were younger.
1: No, I didn't. That was um, that's. You know, when I say Quasimodo, I used to be like this all the time. I don't know why. I've got I've I've got a. I Must have just been stiff. I think I was just stiff as a kid. I've yeah, that's it was probably you know when you playing rugby and you just don't want to get your head taken.
0: I was probably just guarding it all the time. That's all it was. He said that you like when you look round, you have to move your whole body. Yeah,
1: it was. I think
0: yeah, that's you've true got a lot of family, haven't you? You've yeah. got to love your family.
1: I was just I was a stiff kid, that's my problem with. Well, I just probably didn't know how to loosen up. That's probably why the, the knock on the head probably helped me. I've definitely loosened up since because I'm definitely see. This was another thing that people don't realize, is they don't realize now i can look back and i know that i'm i'm a different person to what i was before that crash and i know that because so much changed even down to my accent and stuff like that like i i almost had to i lost myself so far in that sense that i literally i i completely reinvented myself until i remembered what i was like before if that makes any sense and that that won't ever make any sense to anyone on the outside
0: because i guess they didn't go through it if that means no it does it does make sense and that that leading to my next question Looking back, knowing what you know now about that incident, do you think that you are a better athlete than you would have been had you not had the crash?
1: I think I'm... Honestly, I think I'm a different person because I don't know what I was like before properly to know if I'm a better athlete. I mean, I'm obviously a better athlete because I'm running so well now, but because... Because I don't really... I know... I, I obviously have the memories, but I know that what I went through definitely sort of I, I guess you can call it involved me into like a different sort of completely character um definitely lo- way less hot-headed not like not ready to sort of fly off the boil all the time or anything and way way more calculated every, everything i do like I, I don't necessarily overthink things but i definitely process things far more than I, I would have before and there's there's it's definitely more calculated and not just acting again as i said emotion is your imagination running world and stuff like that. So definitely very different um and I guess more observant of how of how the world works in that sense.
0: Can you describe the moment when you found out that you'd been selected for the Rio Games?
1: Uh, it was weird. So because people think being selected for Rio was the biggest thing, but it wasn't. It was winning British champs because I wasn't. I wasn't even supposed to make the final of British champs. And I remember winning British champs and just breaking down in tears. I'm live on BBC, and for me, that was the biggest moment ever because. I think I must have run a PB in the final um, and I beat one of my, my idols, Michael Rimmer at the time. Um, and I wasn't even, I wasn't expected to feature when I won. And I, that was the biggest moment I've probably had in my career. That was bigger than running 143 last month. Um, yeah, that was by far. Yeah, that was, that was more emotional than I could ever sort of put into words. And then I went on to Europeans and I wasn't even expected to make it out of the heats. And then I cruised the heats, cruised the, cruised the semis and then came third in the final. Um, so again, that's another sort of example there in that sense um that was pretty cool and then i actually got injured straight after the europeans and i didn't run for 2 weeks because i had this when you have crazy crazy high highs all you can do is come down you can't it's hard to keep going up it's in fact it's impossible to keep going up unless you're so level headed that you know that there's another goal coming on afterwards if you go too high you're just you're going to have a major mental crash where you just you slump pretty much and that's what happened i had this major major high after british champs and euros i got injured and i've got a problem with my neural system if my neural system's heightened and i get stressed then i have achilles issues and it, it happens like clockwork if i'm stressed out and my achilles is going to flare up and i'm going to have to take time out and me and my culture recognize this but we didn't recognize this when i was younger and um and yeah it, it was like clockwork i i had this major major high i was like iron cloud nine and bouncing off the walls and doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing and then yeah like clockwork my Achilles flared up and I couldn't run for two weeks putting a bit of weight got selected for the um olympics trained for like three weeks before um and yeah just I couldn't I, I definitely wasn't the same athlete I didn't give a, a good account of myself excuses aside um I can confidently say I definitely wasn't the same guy the same mindset same everything leading into the olympics and I was almost engulfed by this swarm of like because i was put in a in an apartment with like mole Farah, greg rutherford um like martin rooney james and i was with like the big guns like they put me in with like the creme de la creme and it was just cool like being with these guys that two of them end up being like olympic champions and stuff like that and yeah i was i was just i guess i was
0: a little bit swamped in that sense do you think that's because you your target was to get to the british champs and so you, you know, like when people talk about um, the, Olymp- the Olympics, for instance, the four year or eight year cycle is about that Olympic Games at the end, but no one tells you how to come down the other side of it. And do you think that was a summit before?
1: No, it was different because remember, I was never targeting the Olympics because mm-hmm. I wasn't even expecting to make British Champs final that year. So the Olympics was never actually cards because remember be- before that, so 18 months prior to that, I had the bike crash. Prior to that, I was still running one minute, 53 seconds. And obviously now I run 143, so 10 second differential. So I wasn't even considered an athlete. So bear in mind, when I had the three weeks bed bound, I then spent another six weeks on crutches. Um, and our first challenge was to learn how to walk again because, because I ruptured my PCL, like my knee would collapse all the time. And because my glute was damaged, like I had a limp for a good like three or four months. And the first challenge was I worked with a guy called James Bruin. we, my first challenge was to get back walking, walking became jogging, jogging became running. And I had the accident in the August. And by the following sort of season, I was, um, yeah, I was like, I was running and racing again. And that, that wasn't, that wasn't really on paper. That wasn't really meant to happen. And I didn't, I didn't have a goal in mind. It was just like, a, let's just get my body to a point where my knees are collapsing. Cause I remember going out where I, I, I met Meg, my girlfriend on a, on a, in the night um at the local like nightclub at, at uni and stuff and she i used to have this like certain dance move and i i incorporated my my knee collapsing into a bit of like a, a bup into like a dance and that, that's that's professional
0: stuff so you had, yeah, basically, was, you had a <laughs> dance move to impress
1: i was, it was no but my dance was calculated wasn't, it was calculated because my knee was always going to collapse but i didn't know when it was going to it was just when it when it collapsed it was like it, i would just sort of drop drop the shoulder and drop the knee with it um, rather than dropping obviously completely, so I, I kind of made it. Meg just thought that was just something I did when I was like, dancing and stuff. And because obviously when you're drunk, you're less like tactile and like you're process. You're not processing as much, so I couldn't think about my sort of movement as well. Because and hence why the knee would sort of collapse a bit Wh- more. Which club head. was it? And it was. It's just closed down now. It's called. It. I think it was called McCluskey's. Then it was. Yeah.
0: Called yeah. We spoke about that before. Oh, we Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm, um, I'm from Kingston. Was, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was. It was. Um, it was, it, it was Viper. I, I can't remember if at the time it was McCluskey's or Viper, but it was one of the two. Um, Mate, if, those, yeah, walls, was,
0: if, if, the, if that place, those walls could talk, it'd be uh, the no, best-selling book in the tragic,
1: world. It? It, it is tragic, that place. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was McCluskey's at the time, because I think it turned into Viper afterwards. Yeah, that's right, but, yeah. you know, long, long story short, um, that's where sort of I met Megan. That's where sort of the knee collapsing and learning to sort of get on top of that and my body sort of functioning more. And I wasn't, I wasn't, I mean... I think i was meant to be at at the olympics but i don't think i was prepared to be at the olympics because it all happened so quickly and as i said when you have these crazy highs you can only come low which is now when i like run 143 i had my moment immediately after the race and i was like yeah this is pretty cool but ever since i've just been like all right cool it means nothing until i back it up again um and i haven't had that crazy high of like thinking like what i did was incredible because i'm like in reality if i if i do start expecting things off myself and it's a flawed model because. I'm, all I've done is put a big red X on my head, and people are firing for me now. They're, everyone's coming for me, and, and rightly so because I'm coming straight back for them. And if they think I'm going, I'm taking my foot off the um off the um off the off the pedal now, then they've got another thing coming. Because if I run 143 indoors, I want to run a hell of a lot quicker than the outdoors. And if they're gonna if they're gonna compete with me, I'm talking about the British guys now. I'm gonna make them sweat for it, and they're gonna have to hurt me because I'm gonna be hurting. And if I'm hurting, they're hurting. So um, I guess. I guess yeah like it's it's understanding that when you do set those goals and it's not thinking too far ahead and when you do get to it understand that if there's another chapter don't get me wrong if i do get to the olympics and i and i, I do manage to win it then it's obviously that's different because that is what you build up towards but again after that if, if things go to plan then we 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 have the world indoors that following uh winter in the indoors and then we'll have the Commonwealth next year and then we'll have the worlds and that's why i'm saying it's a, it's a the stepping stones are always there, and it's a uh, when you get to that top bit. If you do get there, it's not guaranteed because nothing's guaranteed in our sport, and the start line doesn't discriminate. Um, if I can execute on that time, then I just move on to the next one, and then the next one, and then maybe thirty years time I look back. But and and while I'm in the moment, I'm definitely staying very present.
0: That's a good point. I want to move on to a day in the life of a track athlete. We see the the, the superstar that's on on the track. That's, you know, now cool, calm, collected, enjoys being like, you know, the fans watching and, and, and representing his country, but that's only the, the small part of, of your day to day. What's the, what is it? What's the reality like being a, being a track athlete for GB?
1: I, I love it, but for the most, most people, they're boring, boring for most people, very boring. I mean, I eat sleep train pretty much. Um, you, I'm in, a, I'm in the phase now where I'm double in. so every day I like I remember last night all I wanted to do was I remember put it this way I was on my drive home yesterday from from training I called up I called up Meg and I was just like Meg can you just run me a bath and can you please please if you've cooked can you just leave me some food out and I ate my dinner in the bath and then went to bed like that's that that's the reality of it and it, it sounds nice and calm and whatever but I just wanted to kill two stone I wanted to kill two birds in one stone I wanted to eat my food have a shower or whatever I needed to do and just go to bed and that was literally what I did um so I, I'm in the phase at the moment of what I would call like the zombie mode where everything's tiring everything's hard even walking up the stairs I'm getting lactic in my legs because I know that I know that this is what what I have to do to get to the summer because what people don't realize is that we know, we don't win our races in the summer no athlete no athlete at the top wins their races in the summer we win it in the dark days when nobody's watching in periods like this where we're just grilling ourselves and we're working ourselves into the ground smart has to be very smart the way we do it but we're just it's like I'm short-tempered at the moment because I'm so tired all the time I just want to sleep all the time and it's just knowing that the more work you put in now the greater the reward in the long run and anything you skip now is only going to have a detrimental effect on you later on and unless you understand that it's, it's a flawed, it's a flawed process. And I guess now is, now is my medal winning phase and the summers just fun. The summer when you're racing is the easy bit because you're fresh all the time. You're ready. You're feeling good. Like you're not walking up the stairs with lactic in your legs. You're not like going to bed tired. You're not craving sugar all the time because you're like, just body's just depleted and you're just chilled and you're in a, in a good place in the summer. But like now is a day in the life. Now is just very much, Tired, tired, tired. But there's the end goal in sight, and if I want to get to that, I have to do this this phase now. And not to think when I get to the summer that's when I need to start hitting myself because that's that's what idiots do, and that's when people don't um, don't perform.
0: Mate, you mentioned about um, about food there. Basically, your your brother Ash said that you didn't like to use cutlery when you was a kid. I was bad. At and, uh, now, well, I've got a little quote actually from a from a message that came in yeah he said sunday dinner you don't get a knife and fork without just straight hands
1: no it was, i was i was bad growing up so mum used to always give me um extra yorkshire puddings because i'd make a cake out of the yorkshire puddings you always put your meat in first and then you it, put them i've never
0: done that i'm gonna try i'm gonna and try
1: it, it changed your life so you put so you put a little bit of gravy on the bottom or you wet the meat with the gravy a little bit um and then you put your mash in and then you put your vegetables on the top and your vegetables obviously stick because they've got the mash in the middle and then you just you pick it up and you eat and you've got a cake right there so obviously i for a Yorkshire pudding I want at least four or five yorkshire so I can make my cakes um and then the rest as a kid I used to just cut up the meat and then i just straight hands in lots of gravy and just mush it all together and then just just straight in but I, I'm still bad now that's why when I went to Dubai i loved the culture of Dubai because you just eat with your hands you pick up the bread and you just straight in and I was just like yeah this is a bit of me this is but Meg's, Meg's used to it and we're at a point now when Meg finishes her meal she just gives me a plate and I'll lick the plate and I'm just yeah I'm, I'm that guy which is why when people say to me like I, sometimes like people joke and say like, I'm like people like me until they get to know me and then they get to know me they're like well, what is this thing so it's um, I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm, I'm a bit odd in that sense but I do I do like to eat without, without cutlery if, if given the choice and if if you do see me licking the plate then just know that I'm very comfortable around you
0: well, that's good to know what's the future hold for you
1: I don't know, mate. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Just take each day as it comes and and fight it from there.
0: Mate, talking about getting to know you, it's been a pleasure to have got, got to know you over the last sort of hour or so. And as I said, with regards to your family, you, you've got a beautiful family as well. Um, you've achieved so much in the 26 years that you've that you've been alive. And who knows what the next 26 years is going to hold for you, but no doubt... It will be as diverse and uh, and as full as the first 26 thank you very much and i genuinely wish you all the best in in the future
1: i appreciate it mate it was good talking
0: if you like what you hear don't forget to subscribe to the podcast channel for updates on new releases and why not leave a review on your podcast provider and follow us on instagram on the at can't Cam world page to show your support thanks legends